So we've spent a few weeks now in this magnificent little book. I'm not sure which version you have before you, but in mine, the past five weeks, uh, or it's just two pages here. Um, and even at that, it, it seems like we've been going at lightning speed, uh, really just hitting the, the theological mountain peaks um, and not spending a whole lot of time in the valley. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you tonight, we're going to keep at the same lightning speed uh, going over. Uh, but it's just a testimony of the potency and richness of the scriptures. We could probably spend a sermon in each verse alone, um, but we won't tonight. We'll consider a larger portion. Uh, the book of Ephesians, as we've seen, is really at 10,000 feet about being in Christ Jesus. And we saw that Paul, in writing to the Ephesians, really rooted everything in being in Christ Jesus. And he, and he showed them throughout the first chapter that their salvation is the work of the Father and the work of the Son and the work of the Holy Spirit uh, planned before time, accomplished in time, and then applied to men and women, boys and girls like you and me. And then he, he brings them to this point where they, they, he, they need to see that God's power is, is great, that they've received a great inheritance to the point where the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ forces Paul to his knees to pray for the Ephesians. And that this gospel is such that there's no individual that has the natural right to receive the grace of God, but that it is indeed that grace, that actually our nature is against that. Uh, but not only are we naturally um, un, uh, unworthy of God's favor, but that there's no nationality that would warrant God's favor either. And then we get to this uh, third chapter, and Paul opens it up. He starts this first sentence where he says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles. And most of the versions then would have what's called an, an M-dash, or a very long dash, which shows an interruption of Paul's thought. He, he's moving in this great, grand, high, powerful, theological treatise, and then he stops. And there's an interruption in his thought. Uh, you know, some people would call this a digression or just in parentheses, uh, which is fine, grammatically speaking. Uh, but we have to notice that this is something really important, that the Apostle Paul would interrupt his own thought. Uh, this past week, uh, with my friend that a lot of you guys met last week. Uh, Elder Winslow was super excited to meet her. Uh, this past week, we uh, were driving up the California coast. She hadn't seen California. It was her first time out here. And we decided it would be a good thing to hop in the car and drive up the one. And we saw beach after beach after beach after beach. And we, we got a little past Malibu, and I decided, you know, we should pull over. And we stopped at Leo Creo uh, State Beach. We, we pulled over, turned the car off, got out of the car, went down to the beach to investigate the beauty of God's creation there. The, the sand, and there, there's a cove there, there's tide pools there, there's a surf break where there's almost always guys out surfing. Uh, and it's just, it's beautiful and glorious. 
And I like to think of this passage a little more like that. It's like as the Apostle Paul is driving along the coast, he pulls over, he turns off the car, and he shows us something special. And what is this that he pulls over to show us? That what is this thing that is so important that Paul would interrupt his own thought to show the Ephesians and then show us? It's the mystery of the gospel. The mystery of the gospel. Paul pauses to gander at the gospel, to look at it. And what you'll see when we get to verse 13 is he actually uses the thing that he stops to actually uh, comfort the Ephesians. Uh, He uses it, the, the understanding of the wisdom of God to reorient his mind. And the same is true for you and for me, that if we understand the gospel, it helps us understand affliction, tribulation, trials, difficulties, and so on and so forth. The unsearchable riches of Christ reorient our view of suffering. So first, uh, he brings us this idea of the mystery, the understanding of the mystery, uh, which we can actually jump ahead a little bit to verse 6, that gives us a description of what this mystery is. It's that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. It's that this mystery is, is that the grace and kindness of God came not only to the Jews, but to the Gentiles, to the Greeks, to the Americans, to Germans, Italians, and so on and so forth. The mystery comes to those like the Ephesians. And this idea of mystery isn't like, like, a, like a BBC mystery or a mystery show, a whodunit. Uh, it's not a mystery like we can't know it. Uh, it's a mystery in the sense that it was hard to see, hard to understand, but now is clear in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is that something was once concealed, and now it is clearly revealed. And that since the the mystery is clear, it doesn't mean that it didn't occur, and there wasn't evidences of it in the Old Testament. Uh, And to help us understand this, I want to ask you this question. Who first preached the gospel? Was it Paul? Was it Moses? Was it Father Abraham? You know, in Second Peter, it says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He preached the gospel. Well, the answer actually is God. The first person to give the promise of the gospel is God himself. When Adam and Eve had fallen into sin, in the the cursing of mankind, really actually in the cursing of the serpent, the gospel was preached that from the seed of the woman would come a savior for Adam's race, which which even there you're starting to see, okay, well, well maybe there's, there's something about uh, more than just Israel here. But the gospel is greater than the Old Testament people of Israel. Um, and then you see really throughout the Bible that it's, it's broader in the scope than Abraham and his descendants. You see uh, the gospel come to Nineveh, 
and a, a whole nation of people outside of Father Abraham are converted. They turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and they repent. Uh, if you turn to the book of Isaiah, to the second chapter, you see a picture of the scope of the gospel. You could actually turn to Micah chapter 5 and see the exact same thing. The scope of the gospel, and I want to ask you this, is it limited to Israel or is it greater? In uh, Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2, it says, Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mount of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. From out of For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. So even in the Old Testament, there is this great expanse to the scope of the gospel, but there is something mysterious and something harder to see about it. But here at being New Testament believers, those who have the full word of God revealed here, we can actually take the New Testament and through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, use it as a lens to look back and see through these passages and many like it that the gospel is one for people of all different nations, tribes, kindreds, and tongues. So that's the mystery that God would bring in all sorts of people. And it really, it, it, Paul drives to this idea that it's part of the same body, which he picks up hopefully in a couple of weeks we'll see this same body language that gives us the same unity in 4 verse 4 um, but that's the scope um, and it brings us to being one body in the Lord Jesus Christ and as we saw a handful of weeks ago that the will of God owns the apostle Paul we now see that he calls himself even a prisoner of Christ Jesus uh, which is kind of interesting, uh, thinking, okay, where's Paul writing right now? In prison, in Rome. And what does he tell the Ephesians? That he's a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Uh, even there at the beginning, he's starting to comfort them, showing that it's actually the Lord Jesus Christ who is the Lord of lords, and that ultimately Paul's life is owned by the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, but the mystery is according to grace. You know, in verse 2 it says, if indeed, if indeed, uh, which uh, probably isn't the best way of understanding it. It's, it's a good way of translating it, but oftentimes we'll use the word if and we don't actually mean if. Um, Paul here is writing to the Ephesians, which in chapter 1 we saw he called saints who are in Ephesus, faithful in Christ Jesus, said grace to you and peace from God, our Father. So he's not saying if you are believers. Uh, it's, it's more the sense of like if, if my dad's going out 
to the grocery store and he says, I'm going to the grocery store. And I say, oh, if you're going to the grocery store, pick up some bread. He's saying, if you are what you are, then he says that indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you. And it's this grace that comes to people like you and me, and it, and it comes from uh, revelation that's apprehended by uh, the mind, uh, by knowledge. In verse 3, it says, how that, they, by, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as which I have already written to you, by which, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. But the mystery comes by revelation. It's apprehended, and we know it as Paul brings it to us. But the mystery is brighter than it ever was before, uh, which is something that Paul really needs to reinforce in uh, the mind of his readers Uh, particularly any Jews that might be there. You might remember uh, when Christ told his disciples that he needed to die. What did Peter say? No, let it it never be. I'll I'll stand in the way of anyone that would cause you to die. But even there you see that there's in the mind of the Jews... And in the people of Paul's day, there's a misunderstanding of the work of the Christ. There's a misunderstanding of what God is actually doing in human history. But now by this full outpouring of the Holy Spirit to the church, there's a greater understanding in the New Testament age of what this mystery is. It's the mystery that God is saving a people from all nations, tribes, kindreds, and tongues. And then what Paul does is he takes this mystery, this gospel, this thing that he wants us to pull over and look at, and he connects the uh, mystery to his own ministry. You know, sometimes uh, our gifts produce our calling. Uh, sometimes our calling produces our gifts. Uh, what I mean by that is if you're going to try to build a bridge, you're going to look for an engineer. You're going to call the engineer, and you're going to have him build the bridge. You're probably not going to call me. I, I don't have an engineering degree, um, and my gifts don't apply to that calling. Uh, but if I was the only person left in the world and the bridge needed to be built, and I was called to do that, I would, I would get engineering books According to my calling, I would start searching the internet. I'd probably watch 400 YouTube videos, and I'd do what I can to try to understand what I need to know for my calling. And Paul connects this mystery, the content of his calling, with who he is as a preacher. And it's a it's a calling that is based on the grace of God, and Paul sees that as as something that's intimate in his own calling as a minister of God to the church. His ordination is that of God. He says, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working 
of his power. You know, gifts are given by God. Uh, it's almost as if Paul's saying, you know, the, the whole content of the gospel, that's by grace. And then again, any gift that I have is by grace and by grace alone. And what it does, the fact that all the gifts that you have are given to you by grace, any gift that I have, have is by grace, any gift that the Apostle Paul has is by grace, what it does is it shows the power of God. To where we can, along with the Apostle Paul, say it's all by grace, therefore look to him. Don't look to me, look to God. And it's this ordination that's by God and by God alone. Um, to where even, uh, I, I always remember my professor, uh, Dr. Piper, he, he always says, um, we can't give a man gifts. Don't send us a man who doesn't have any gifts. All we can do is help him cultivate the gifts. Um, and that's, that's the case for you and for me. The gifts are given by God, and uh, we return it all to God. Um, and he, because of this uh, ordination, these gifts given by God, it actually gives him a particular orientation, uh, which we see fitting uh, nicely in verse 8. He says, To me, who am less than the least of all the saints? This grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Uh, he says, least of all. Uh, perhaps Paul is uh, remembering that he was standing by Stephen in persecution. Uh, perhaps he's taking on the, uh, the, the godly uh, humility of John the Baptist, saying things like we should all say, uh, may we decrease that the Lord might increase. Uh, maybe it's a generic spiritual humility. Maybe it's all three. But what he's doing is that he's connecting the fact that all the gifts that he has is by grace and that it shows something of who he is, uh, where we can all say, we're least of all. We're least of all, but God has dealt graciously with us. It was the position of Christ to always uh, amplify the Father and the Son throughout his ministry, and it's the same orientation that Paul has and that we should have as well. Uh, Paul uh, does this, and as we remember that last week, we saw that our uh, nationality doesn't warrant salvation. Um, our nature doesn't warrant salvation. We saw that two weeks ago. Uh, the alternative is grace, where we approach God with this orientation of nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Uh, but sometimes it's worse. Actually, all the time it's worse. Um, we actually do bring things in our hands. It's our own sin. It's our own unworthiness and our trespasses. But, but, but Paul's point is that all pastors, all elders, all deacons, and all saints are to take the lower position because we live as people owned by grace. And it shows us, then, in contrast, the riches of Christ Jesus. See, we can actually understand how Great the riches of Christ Jesus are because of our own spiritual poverty. 
which moves to Paul's uh, oration or his message. And his message is to take this mystery and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Christ Jesus. Uh, what he's doing is he's, he's rooting it in nature. He's showing that it was from the beginning. Uh, it's actually the most natural thing that all people would come to the Lord Jesus Christ because of the scope of the gospel, which is all nations, all peoples, um, and that this uh, mystery is one uh, that fits uh, how things ought to have been. Um, all that should uh, descend from Adam ought to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and to join this new fellowship that brings together Jew and Gentile, um, Orange County person and L.A. County person, and so on and so forth. Uh, Paul's life is owned by the gospel message, which is something specific to pastors uh, and preaching, uh, but it's generic for all of us. This message that we find fellowship is generic to all of us. You know, Paul wanted the Ephesians to see the unsearchable riches of Christ Jesus. Do you desire to see these riches? Is it in your heart of hearts to see the riches of Christ Jesus? And, and if you have seen them, uh, by faith you see that Christ is indeed who he says he is, and that you lay hold of him and come to him and receive it, do you want others to see it like Paul wants you to see it? You know, if you're a, a homeless orphan child out on the street and you found the place where the bread was given freely, wouldn't you turn, find the other orphans and bring them to the same place? Find the people that need the bread? Isn't that where we all should be? And where we all often are not. We need to be the kind of people that just say, we've seen the riches of Christ. We're, our first thing on our mind when we meet new people is, how can I tell them something of the riches of Christ Jesus? And you do this because you know the mystery and that the mystery, uh, this message is rooted in actually God's wisdom. You see, that's where Paul drives us again and again and again as to the manifold wisdom of God. God's wisdom is actually so great that angels marvel at it, you see in verse 10, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. And this idea of powers and principalities could be generic for angels and demons, I don't see any reason to think that it, demons are included here. It would probably fit better with uh, 1 Peter 1.12, where it says that uh, the angels try to look into these things as he's speaking of the wisdom of God in the gospel. And it's, it's almost like you get this picture of uh, Paul saying, there's been angelic Bible studies going on, trying to understand the wisdom of God in dealing with men and women, boys and girls, like you and me. So if Paul can't get past the gospel, if the angels desire to look into these things, why not you and me? 
So can you? Can you get past the gospel? You know, the the errors that have happened throughout church history, uh, the errors that happen in churches today and in individuals throughout the world, usually the biggest error is when the gospel plays second fiddle to some other thought, practice, or idea. When the gospel takes the back seat. You know, one of my prayers for this church is that the gospel would never take the back seat. And as you look for a new pastor, that you'd be praying even now, even tonight, that he'd be a man who brings the gospel and puts it in the front seat again and again and again. And if we ever try to let anything slip in its way to get in front of it, that he would see that, and then he would say, no, the gospel plays second fiddle to no one and to no thing. Because... Even the angels marvel at it. And God's wisdom is rooted in eternity. You know, we saw that a few weeks ago. It's this great work of the Father, planning it before all time, um, and deciding to accomplish this salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul drives us to that according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 12, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. You see, Paul is captivated by these things, and it draws him to to remind us this idea that we have a boldness in our access with God. And what I think is interesting is that, as Paul says this here, uh, the writer of the Hebrews says, let us therefore draw near with boldness unto the throne of grace. The gospel gives us boldness with God, So why would we be ashamed before men? If if the gospel makes it that we can actually tonight confidently come before God Almighty and, and pray to him to approach his throne of grace, to have fellowship with him, that we have access to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, why wouldn't we be bold toward those who need him? to those who don't know him? Why would we fear men? Why would we even fear angels? We have boldness with God. So the problem isn't that we don't have access to God and we don't have a boldness, but the problem is that so often uh, we forget and we become ashamed. Um, I, I know even myself, there's so many times I've been talking to someone And I spend a lot of time skirting around the gospel. Uh, And you talk about the kingdom, uh, and you forget to mention the riches of the king. So do we have that boldness? Uh, Do we see the gospel actually as the power of God to salvation? So how do we get this boldness? Well, it's by faith. That is, the understanding of the content of the gospel, the uh, ascending to it as true, the trusting in God. Uh, Really, to have that boldness, you just believe. You just believe that God is who he is. You believe that Christ is truly the rich one, the almighty one, the one who rules over heaven and earth, that the whole plan of salvation and redemption is rooted in eternity past, that it's God the Father who we worship tonight that gives us that boldness because of his sovereignty and his wisdom. You just believe. 
that God is who he is. And you say to yourself every single morning, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And then you speak. Uh, As one of my professors said, you get up, you put your pants on, and you go to work. And that's what Christians do. That's what we do. And that's what I hope we can continue to learn to do. So we have this mystery, the gospel, and it, and it shows us uh, can, what or Paul connects it with his mission, his job, and, it, and then he roots it in the wisdom of God in Jesus Christ. And, and one thing, we just look at this and we say, how could we not be excited about the work of God um, in our time uh, and throughout human history? But Paul, actually, he's, he's moving in a direction. You know, at the, at the beginning of the sermon, we said that this understanding of the mystery, understanding of the gospel, uh, that it drives us to actually understand our experience. And that's where Paul goes in verse 13. Uh, he concludes with this idea that they should not lose heart. It says, therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulation for you, which is your glory. You know, Paul uh, reminds them that he's in chains in verse 1. But then, in considering the riches of Christ and the gospel, he then can confidently tell them not to lose heart. Like we noted earlier, ultimately, he's not a prisoner of the state of Rome. He's a prisoner of Christ Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Paul, uh, he reminds them of this. And these are the the people that actually, if you read in Acts 20, he had been ministering with for some time. And then the Holy Spirit tells Paul that he's going to go to Rome and actually be imprisoned. And Paul weeps with them and cries with them. And he actually, as a good pastor, he knows something of the uh, what, what makes the Ephesians tick. He, he understands who they are. He understands that they might be given to lose heart, so he reminds them of the gospel that they might not lose heart. Because understanding the riches of Christ reorients our understanding of things like the minister to the Gentiles being in prison. Uh, you know, we've got a uh, OP pastor out in, um, in uh, Georgia, in Atlanta, who came here in a shipping container, fleeing his country. And he's got, I think it's 14 pastor friends in Eritrea who are in prison. And it's the gospel of Christ that can help believers like us in considering them, or them who are in chains, not to lose heart because Eritrea is under Christ. You know, one, of, one thing that I glory in is that Christ is not an Eritrean and he's not an American. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords who rules over all. But then a little broader than that, we can actually take the gospel and apply it to other things other than just the tribulation and trial of being in prison. We can take the gospel and look at our own difficulties. We can look at our broken relationships. We can look at divorce. 
the apostasy of loved ones, uh, loved ones who have never believed, and we pray again and again and again, yet they're not coming to the Lord. We can look at new aches and new pains, heartaches, uh, the death of friends, and the list goes on and on and on, and we can take the gospel and it drives us to an understanding of God and who he is and his manifold wisdom, and it causes us to not lose heart. You see, Paul wants us to understand these things. He tells the Ephesians to stop, pull over, turn off the car, go look at the gospel, and through the lens of the gospel, see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and let that be the lens which you see your whole life. See the life of their pastor, Paul, who is now in Rome in chains, and we can do the same. Because we rest not in the nations of this world, we rest not in the people around us ultimately, but we rest in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we let that change our view of our afflictions and our trials. My prayer would be that we would consider this Um, And as we continue to work through the book of Ephesians, that we just remember that Paul is pastoring us through this book, that we might have a better view of our lives and who we are, what's going on, and where God is leading us. Now, would you pray with me and pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we praise you and we thank you that Christ Jesus actually is so rich, rich in his glory, and that Uh, whatever comes, Lord, we can point to you uh, and we can say you are glorious and you are wise. Uh, Lord, we can look uh, to you through the lens of the gospel like Joseph of old and we can say uh, the men of this world meant it for evil, but you meant it for good um, and that you care for your children. Um, So, Lord, help us to see clearly. Give us the uh, Holy Spirit Help us to exercise our faith. Give us the mind of Christ that we might be those who have a full confidence and boldness, but only rooted in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we love you, Father and Son and Holy Spirit. We thank you for the redemption of mankind in Christ. And we pray, Lord, that you would continue to move throughout our land, throughout this world, to bring people to Jesus Christ through this great mystery that the Gentiles are brought in and that there is a new body, a new person in the Lord Jesus Christ we praise and adore tonight. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.